0: Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We're equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Pastor Michael Lockstamfer, and I hope you've had a great summer so far. I know there have been a lot of unexpected things coming up personally in my life and in the lives of other Grace Church members. It can be easy to be distracted by all that gets thrown at us during a regular week. And if we're not careful, we can end up running off course. Sometimes we accidentally fall into habits of sin. We don't mean to, but that's what it's like living life in a fallen world. If you're there right now, I know that this next message from Romans chapter seven is gonna be challenging and ultimately I think very encouraging. If you suspect you might be headed in that unintended direction, I hope this is an early warning sign for you because in this life, our struggle with sin is real, but thanks be to Jesus. In order to make this episode as helpful as possible, I've included links to the scripture passages, our website, and other resources that I think will be beneficial to you. Now, let's take an authentic look at the gospel life with Pastor Todd McQueen. Well, good morning, church.
1: We're in Romans chapter seven this morning as we continue the Basecamp series. We're talking about the gospel life, what it means to live out the good news of Jesus Christ. So last week we talked about sin on purpose, and this week we take a different aspect of what sin's like in the life of someone who's chosen to follow Jesus. Now as you look up on the screen, how many see a torture chamber from the medieval times? Yeah, yeah. Put me on a treadmill and say go there for a while, Miss Hoffler. I thought of you when I found the picture of the spinning class because we talked about the torture of spinning classes. And Robbie, I almost thought of just putting a mountain bike seat and having a Robbie arrow pointed toward it. As we try to work out and get in better shape, it hurts, doesn't it? It's like we've been trying for a long time. We know we got to get in better shape, or Acknowledge that we're out of shape. And so we go to the gym, we put on our running shoes, we say, okay, I'm going to get in better shape. We're going to hit the goal of getting in better shape. It's kind of like with the kids this morning. You know what a circle is, and you work hard to try to get there. I know that I want to train to be able to ride 50 miles on the mountain bike as a goal or I want to be able to run a half marathon, or I at least want to be able to get up and be able to walk to the mailbox and back. I had a friend that went through chemotherapy, and he said, every day, my goal is to get to the mailbox and back. And toward the end, his wife helped him. But we have these goals in life that we know they're there, and just because it's unattainable, none of us is ever going to win a CrossFit challenge, maybe. I don't think anybody's going to ride for the Tour de France. But just because it's kind of unattainable, I don't know if there's any gold medal Olympians in our audience this morning. Might be sarcasm. If sarcasm was a gold, you might have that. But the same way in the gospel life, Jesus has said, Here's how you follow me. Here's how you have a relationship with me, and here's how you follow me. God has always written a love story. I'm going to search you out, and I'm going to develop a relationship with you, and here's what it means to follow me. Last week, we studied that our life reflects what we offer to Jesus. Are you a quality pen? Are you a groom? Are you a cup? When we offer these, when we offer our bodies up to Jesus as his instruments, as what he's going to use, our life will reflect that. Because last week, we studied Romans 6, which said, hey, if Jesus forgives me, is it okay if I go ahead and sin on purpose? And Paul's answer to that is, by no means. No, no, absolutely No. This is living in base camp, and somebody brings a big dump truck of sin into camp and says, Well, Jesus will forgive me, so I'm going ahead and do this. We heard the phrase sometimes it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. We will choose to live a life of sin in front of Jesus and say to our neighbors, Well, God forgives me, I can get away with this. The answer to that is no. But this week, Romans 7, we live in base camp with other people. With other, with other people who have chosen to follow Jesus, who claim to follow Jesus, who surrender surrendered themselves to Jesus, and they still sin. You've followed God for a long time, or you just started following God, or wherever you are in your spiritual journey with Jesus, and man, that same sin keeps coming up and up and up and up. How I many can empathize with that. You don't have to raise hands. But there's something in your life that you're struggling with. But you're so frustrated, like, God, I want a relationship with you. And it just aggravates you. So turn with me as Paul writes in Romans 7 with this heart. Because today we're going to transition from purposeful sin to sin that just happens. It's a totally different mindset. Romans 7, page 781 in your story Bible, if you'd like to have one. Romans chapter 7, we'll begin in verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Is the law bad? I've heard it said so many times New Testament good grace, the Old Testament bad law. The law is good. Why is it good? Paul begins our study this morning with a rhetorical question like he did last week. Last week's question was "If Can I go ahead and sin on purpose because Jesus forgives me? And his answer was No, absolutely not. This week he starts with Hey, is the law bad? And what's his answer in verse 2? The exact same phrase. No, absolutely not. For the law is good. The law says when you sin, something has to die. It's a sacrificial system. Do you know that? If it was, imagine this. If you're back in the Hebrew times and you sinned, you punched John. You nodded really quickly at that. Something you're going to have to go to the temple and something's going to have to die for that sin. What you did last week, what you did this morning, what thought you had, that sin equates the death of something. Let that sink in for a second. You sin, something has to die. The law is also grace. Since you know sin, you know God. God makes a way of reconciling with you. Here's how you follow me. When you sin, here's how you reconcile. That's grace. Through the law, through God's word, through what he teaches you in your Bible study, if you're in time with God and you're growing in relationship with God, you're going to know more about sin. And the good news is God makes a way of reconciling with you. The law also teaches you God's expectations. How many have gone to work and not know what in the world the employer wants out of you? You just show up and you're like, yeah. I'm not going to say any names for a record of being recorded by Pastor Michael. Uh, I edited some thoughts there. But anyhow, you go to work and you don't know your expectations. Guys, when you go to date and get married, this will be the enigma of life. What does she mean by that? (laughs) Not knowing our expectations drives us nuts, doesn't it? Well, God gives you the law. Here's how you have a relationship with me, and here are my expectations. He's a good parent. He's a good God. He wants a relationship with you, and therefore, through his word, he tells you, here's what I expect out of you. So is the law bad? No, absolutely not. I wish Miss Jessie was here this morning because she loves the book of Leviticus. The law is good. The law is not bad. In verse 12, so the law is holy. And the commandment is holy, righteous and good. The law, God's word, gives us our expectations on how to live for God so we can be holy, which means distinct or set apart. It's good in that way. We know about God and we know about his word, we know how to live for him. And that sets us apart. Why does your neighbor know that you love Jesus? Are you set apart? Are you different in the way that God's expectations manifest itself in your life for your neighbors to see? Or do your neighbors even see you? It's Romans 7.13. So the obvious question. Look at Romans 7.13. Did that which is good, the law, then bring about death to me? So really if the law is good, then why it brings about death. Did the law knowing what God's word did it bring death? By no means. Absolutely not. The good of knowing God's word highlights the stark contrast where the rubber meets the road of my faith. It's the barometer, it's the standard. God's word is how do you know how to have a relationship with Him? And therefore, then how do you live? I love Jesus, but every time I see Frank, I punch him. Frank would say, you don't love Jesus. But every time you see somebody in need, every time somebody slanders you in the workplace, you respond with slander. What does God's word say about that? What does God's word say about how you will know if you love God? How you love one another. So if you love God and hate people, it doesn't work. And loving people is saying sometimes you have sin in your life and you need to take care of it. Because here's what God's Word says. Does the law bring death? There's a difference between knowing and doing. Some of us had bellied up to the buffet of God's Word for so stinking long that we know Matthew 28, 18 to 20 because we say it here every Sunday. But we will not make a disciple to save our hind end. We know God's word, love people. Monday morning comes around. Well, I can tell you about the scripture verses Jesus says in John 13. People know your disciples by the way you love one another, but I refuse to do it. God's word says you can know about me and it comes out your hands and the feet. If it's not coming out your hands and the feet, you're not following God's word. The law is where you see your faith apply. God's word is where you see your faith apply. How many of you know people that when you talk to them, they're spiritual? They can talk. They even use a J word like, I got me some Jesus. They even do that southern thing. I've seen it. Got me some Jesus. And you don't see it anywhere. How do you have any right to say, to wonder? Because you know God's word. How they interact with each other. How they interact with you. Now I am getting somewhere. Hang on, because Paul is developing this huge argument. Move with me back to Romans 13, chapter 7. We'll start in verse 14. Paul gets incredibly passionate. God's word is good. Genesis to Revelation is good. Let's listen to Paul's heart starting in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Did you hear that? I got the desire in me to do it, but I don't have the ability. Verse 18. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin dwells within me. Verse 14, Paul is so incredibly honest here. God's apostle, the one who Jesus met on the road himself, blinded him, and and had a meeting with Jesus, the guy who wrote a lot of what you're holding in your hand, that God moved him to write that, is incredibly real deal honest. Verse 14, he said, I'm, going to, I'm in the flesh still, God. I'm following you, and I still sin. Get this. You're going to sin until you see Jesus. You can't wash it all out. There will be sin in your life. You're going to desire to do the right, but fail miserably at it. Your heart's going to be all in it, but you're just going to fail someday. God's Word gives us a conscience. The law, the word, reading of your Bible is going to give you that spiritual conscience to know when you've broke His commands. And how many times do we go through life when we know we've got a decision to make and we do it and we're like, nah, nah, my gut, my heart, the work of the Holy Spirit in you is like, Nah-nah. verse 17, you can't hide sin and follow Jesus. It's going to be declared from the rooftops. We think we're pretty darn good at this. We can play the game. We can put a whole lot of Maybelline on our sin and make it look like it's going to look good. Our wives, our neighbors, our co-workers, the guys at school know when you're full of it. The guys in the cabin. God's word gives light to sin. As you interact with God and His Word, it shines a light on what is sin in your life. It never ceases to amaze me. When people fail to read and interact with God, they find themselves less and less sinful. So here's good news for the morning. Hey, pick up a Bible reading guide. Read daily. And what's verse 18 telling us? You're going to realize, man, i got a long ways to go. Thanks, God. Your faith can grow and you can still sin. Fighting sin is a struggle, verse 20. Fighting sin, dealing with sin in your life is a real deal struggle. Verse 21, even in the right, there's sin is right there. Even when you choose to do right, There's evil right there. How many of us are in these circumstances when we go to work that you know the choice here is right, but there's evil right there trying to cut you off in traffic? It's a battle that's every stinking day. I know I'm going to have to love John today. I know that I'm going to have to talk to you and to you and you, and I have to be able to interact with Sarah about what's going on around here. And those interactions are going to have good consequences of sin right there, just waiting right to pounce on that situation and blow the thing up. How many have been there last week? Paul delights in God's word. The same word that evidences it puts a halogen spotlight on our sin is where we're supposed to delight, to feast on like it's a buffet after church on Sunday. And the culmination, the wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Look what Paul has done. He's gone through and he's actually penned an autobiography chapter for you. The man who said, follow me as I follow Jesus is going to say, I'm chock full of sin and I battle with it every day. And by the verse 24, the crescendo is wretched man that I am. As I get to know God, I know my heart, and it's just nasty. Who will deliver me? What is the hope in this Christian life? How many of us were sold a bill of goods back when we were first starting to follow Jesus? Accept Jesus, and everything will be better tomorrow. We woke up the next day, and we're like, no. Or how many of us have worked so hard at struggling with a personal sin that comes crashing through our doors just like a bull, day in and day out. And we look to God and say, oh, I can't get it. I can't do this. I am wretched. And we look take a mirror and look at ourselves and we say, I, if you really knew the thought bubbles that come onto my head as I'm out in public, I would not be your pastor. Imagine, here's Paul's thought bubble. The missionary who planted a kajillion churches and walked 10,000 miles without a road, an internet, or email. Pinned chapter seven. And it's right where many of us live, day in and day out. Jesus, I want to follow you, and all this sin that comes exploding in my life, I look at myself and I say, oh, I'm wretched. Then ask the logical question, who will deliver me? Who sets the standard? How will I get there? Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is the answer? Pretend like we're in kid nation. Ready? What is the answer? Wretched man that I am. I know the sin that's in my life. Every time I interact with this coworker, this neighbor, with my spouse, with my kids, I know my heart and my thought bubbles are nasty, nasty, nasty. Who's going to save me from this? Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. How many of us in that wretched man state where we're frustrated with dealing with sin that's in our life, the first word out of our mouth is thanks? Or do we get mad at God? Thanks, God, for Jesus. You're like, how in the world is that an answer? Life has been horrible in base camp. I know that I can't sin on purpose, but I know that when I hang out with other people who say they follow Jesus in base camp, things stink every once in a while. We got cleanup on aisle four. And a lot of time it's my mess. Thanks, God. How can he say thank you? For there is no condemnation. So there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thanks, God. Because, Jesus, you got this. I don't. Here's a new idea this morning you are unable to save yourself from the get go. If you're trying your own power to make yourself good enough for God, you're not going to make it. And then. You're praying to God and you're working with him and you're dealing with sin and it's still in your life. What now? This is really, this is so frustrating with Christian life. Where is the hope? Jesus. The good news of Jesus Christ isn't just for eternity. It's for today because of what Jesus does in our life. He says, I'm going to work with you, Joan. Where we started 10 years ago, Tana, a lot different than where you are Today. Frank, I know you were a little bit different a year ago. John? Yeah. Philia, you restarted this relationship. By the way, this don't count if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're just trying to swim upstream. But a relationship with him says, Okay, Heather, I know it. Well really is where you work is gonna to be tough. You, all of those sins after you come to know Jesus will not condemn you he's still your savior who wants to walk beside you through that you're not orphaned and you're not abandoned the heart of the apostle Paul the so wretched when he comes to that crescendo the wretched man that I am who will rescue me is Jesus Because our struggle with sin is real. But thanks be to Jesus. How is he going to do this? Who's the power to get all this done? Turn to Romans 1, verse 16. Who's got this? I trusted Jesus. I want to follow him. And so I'm going to walk harder this week. Romans 1.16. Who is the power? Who gives the power of salvation there? Somebody look at that. I'm making you look in your Bibles for this. Romans 1.16. You got it, Ophelia? Who is it? Huh? Power of God. The same power that spoke the world into creation is the same one as working out your salvation. It's not up to you. Do we walk with him? Do we cooperate with him? Do we take steps of obedience? Yes, we do. There are commands from Genesis all the way to close to the end of Revelation. There will always be commands in knowing God what he wants us to do. There will be expectations and there will be consequences for sin. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. But Jesus wants you to chase after him and walk with him because he knows the struggle is real. Do you struggle at all? Ask yourself this morning: do you struggle? Did you struggle with sin last week where everything was good? If everything was good, you're in a bad shape this morning. Now, do you struggle? Let me give you: getting out of the house and making a disciple, sharing Jesus at the workplace. I'm not talking about all about you, I'm talking about how you love other people. Do you struggle in how you love other people? Do you have a point in which you struggle? If you don't have red flags coming up this morning, that is a big problem. Are you there for those who are struggling? Here in the local church. Corinthians begins with, I comfort those in their comfort because I have been hurt. Who is the best person to comfort a woman who's been abused? Another woman who's been through that. That's a struggle for her. Guys, addicted to porn. That's a struggle. It does something in your brain that fires off like drugs. And you're addicted to that action. Are you there for other people who are struggling with that? That's a sin that comes in on a Monday and they try to follow Jesus, but doggone it, they get past all the codes and all that stuff and it's right there. It's emailed to them, boom, it's on the billboard driving down the road. Are you all worried about just your sin or working about walking alongside somebody else who's struggling? Are you there for those who are struggling in your community? Your next door neighbor. Do they know you love Jesus? The other guys in your cabin. Because here's the crazy thing about this. I can make the sermon all about you and apply it to you. You have sin, you struggle, and you can't get it, so Jesus is going to help you. Go home and be happy. No. Jesus is working in your life through what you're struggling so you can saddle up next to somebody, get somebody in your hip pocket, and walk through life with them. Your next-door neighbor, when they're struggling with something that they can't get through, the person next to you at work. Because when they're struggling, they don't have Jesus in their life. What is the answer for that struggle for them? I've seen it. Mental suicide, I give up. Pour me another, buy me another handle, let's drink it together. Guys love this stuff. Let's go and party all night and go play with our toys. I'll just go play harder. I'll go back to work and do some more overtime. To being with somebody in their life that's next to you, God has placed in your life so you can struggle with them in their struggle, in your community. Because Jesus is good news for what sin is wrecking in your life, is so not just for you, but for connecting with those around you. Because it's real. You sh- share your life with somebody this week as they go through their struggles. Because Jesus is there as the power of salvation working in you.
0: Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the web, Ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.